The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. But I think that, you know, they always show whatever was a thousand people coming down. Remember the words, march peacefully and patriotically, right? March peacefully. You ever hear Maxine Waters? You ever hear her say about what to do with Republicans? Kill them, go in there. If they're having lunch, go in there. And if I, can you imagine if I said that? No, I said peacefully and patriotically. The whole thing is just very unfair. But those J6 hostages, going to jail for 20 years and 18 years and 12 doctors, lawyers, carpenters, electricians, truck drivers. It's, it's one of the saddest things. It'll go down as one of the saddest things in the history of our country. And they went there to protest a rigged election. And now when the facts are in, they, now they see it is a rigged election. You saw the numbers come out last week. It was a rigged election. And those people have to be, many of them, I guess there's some. By the way, there was Antifa, and there was FBI. There were a lot of other people there, too, leading the charge. Leading the charge. You saw the same people that I did. I have concerns about the treatment of January 6 hostages. Uh, I have concerns. We have a role in Congress of oversight over our treatments of prisoners. Uh, and I believe that we're seeing the weaponization of the federal government against not just President Trump, but we're seeing it against conservatives. We're seeing it against Catholics. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm so proud to serve on the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Government, because the American people want answers. They want transparency. And they understand that as you look across this country, there seems to be two sets of rules. If your last name is Clinton or it's Biden, you get to live by a different set of rules. For me, this was a political protest that spilled over into a riot where a small minority of the people engaged in violence. I don't think we want to urge that to happen. We don't want to defend that. I consider that lamentable. But the fact that it's laughable to call this an insurrection is actually demonstrated by the examples that they're using. This was a three-hour riot that was extremely easily subdued. It doesn't remotely compare to any prior insurrections, let alone to the Civil War. The only people who were killed on January 6th were four people, all four of whom were Trump supporters, two of whom dropped out of a heart attack and one from a speed overdose because these were not exactly a well-trained militia. And when Jack Smith went to charge Donald Trump with multiple crimes, he had a lot of options to charge him with, and he charged him with a lot of crimes, including very dubious ones. He did not charge him with inciting an insurrection for reasons that I think we ought to ask ourselves why. But the, the fact that this is such a minor event in history is demonstrated by the fact that the media who needed this to be a major event immediately started lying about what happened, saying that Brian Sicknick was murdered when he had his head bashed in through a fight with a fire extinguisher, only for to learn that actually he called his mother that night. He was fine. He died the next day of what the coroner said were natural causes because the media knew that if you can't say that even one person supposedly perpetrating the insurrection killed anybody, pulled out a gun, let alone discharged the weapon, all of which is true, it's a joke to call this an insurrection. At best, it's a riot. And that's the reason why Trump hasn't been charged with an insurrection. I'm going to try to get through this. Um, thank you for what you did three years ago today. Um, please tell me your thoughts um, on this third anniversary. Uh, um, we are uh, still in the midst of the, the same fight that began uh, on January 6th, 2021. Um, and we have a lot at, at stake in this country. Uh, and I think that it deserves every American's attention. January 6th is still on the brains of a lot of commentators. Three years on the anniversary, of course, was on Saturday, and you see so much of the truth 
it's coming out and you've got a lot of prominent com what a contrast by the way you compare what greenwald said there you compare you know what others have said tucker had an interview with uh with uh, clay higgins we'll play some clips from that in just a bit as well but then you contrast it with the the regime media this reporter who's sobbing like a little baby Thank you for what you've done. Do you think he shed any tears when Minneapolis or parts of it went up in flames in the summer of love? I, 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 would, I would venture to guess or say that he's never cried about any story. But this shows you, this shows you his reaction there with Fanon. And notice Fanon couldn't even hardly look at him as he was sobbing. But this shows you how precious and dear this uh, this fake narrative is to everything they believe. <laughs> You're listening to Stephen Flurry. This is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on this uh, this rainy morning for us here in Central Oklahoma. You can get to the uh, live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at our Rumble channel. Just go to Rumble.com/forward/slash/TrumpetDaily. You can join in on the live chat there. You can also leave some comments. And, of course, if you visit the Rumble channel, make sure you give us the Rumble thumbs up. Well, through the weekend, it was a busy weekend, by the way. We had a, uh, a basketball tournament uh, here on campus for our intramural league. Seven games, I think, in total. Three games for, for my team. So a little bit busy, a little bit tired here at the start of today. But <laughs> happy for me. There's quite a few clips that I think can do most of the heavy lifting for us today. As I move through the weekend, you had the, uh, the Joe Biden uh, Day of Rage speech. Yet another one, just like he gave back in Philadelphia, what was it, a few months ago, with the demonic red, <laughs> red background. Well, here he is going on about Trump as Hitler. That's, uh, that's what he's campaigning on. So you have that. I'll play you some clips from that from Friday. Then, as I say, you have Tucker's interview with Clay Higgins. And then that, uh, that Glenn Greenwald bit, that was from um, a debate that was put on by Zero Hedge. So uh, we've got another clip from that here in just a second as well. All of it on, uh, on January 6th. I don't want to just beat a dead horse here. But, uh, you know, we've been right on this story. Really? Really, from the beginning, as Sam and I were just discussing before we went to air here today, you, you just knew something. He said, as soon as he saw the Viking hat guy, then you knew something wasn't quite right with the way that they were, they were uh, framing this three years ago on January 6th. I mean, I watched it the three hours, as Greenwald said there. I watched it at the time, and I just thought, something just doesn't add up here. I mean, the way they're reporting this, and, and how many of them were in on it? How many of them knew that this was going to be staged? I mean, Clay Higgins, in his interview with Tucker, said there were as many as 200 federal agents in the riot. Look at this. Look at this. It's like one comedian t tweeted out on the day that it happened. Yeah. Oh, the so-called insurrection, the one where they stay within the velvet ropes. When have you seen an insurrection such as this? People taking pictures of the portraits, the rotunda. And yet still, it brings the regime media to tears. It brings them to tears. They, they cherish this narrative so much. It's quite revealing, isn't it? And as I say... It's quite a contrast when you think about the regime media over here and when you think about the actual facts of what happened that day. Glenn Greenwald, he's a liberal. He's a liberal, but he also speaks truth. He speaks the truth. In this case, he certainly does. He's an honest reporter. Uh, one of just so very few coming from the liberal left. Everyone else, they're crying like babies, aren't they? Listen to uh, Glenn Greenwald in that Zero Hedge debate. This is uh, clip three. But on the issue of whether there was a real belief on the part of Donald Trump that elections were stolen, I don't understand how anybody could doubt that, aside from the fact that you have to get into Trump's head. 
In the last three elections that Democrats lost in 2000, 2004, and 2016, a very large number of Democrats believed and asserted that the election was stolen, that the election was stolen and was the byproduct of fraud and the president was as a result illegitimate. When I started writing about politics 2005, the idea that George Bush was the real loser of the election, Al Gore won, was the view of every single liberal and Democrat that I knew. In 2004, there were objections claiming that Karl Rove had interfered in the Ohio vote with the Diebold machines and cheated to make John Kerry lose and John and George Bush win. And then in 2016, Hillary Clinton and the Democrats said that Donald Trump was the illegitimate winner, that Russia had helped him, and they tried to convince the Electoral College to abandon the certified results of the state. Obviously, you go back to, to 1960, and there's a lot of historians believe that election was stolen. So it's not like Donald Trump was the first person to ever wonder or believe that an election was stolen from him. It's a very significant tradition in American political history. If you know anything about politics before 2016. 2000, 2004, 2016, the last three elections that Republicans have won, Democrats, <laughs> a large cross-section of Democrats have contested it. They're deniers. They're election deniers. This is this was uh, from Citizen Free Press. They posted this article um, on the anniversary of January 6th. It's from the New York Times. It's from the New York Times, January 6, 2021. So on the day of the so-called insurrection, the title being Democrats have been shameless about your presidential vote too. It says, after the 2000, 2004, 2016 elections, they objected to counting electoral totals. They objected to it. They said it was rigged. They said it was stolen. I don't know if I'll go through all of this here, but I'll just give you some snippets. As Republicans in Congress prepare to formally contest the outcome of the 2020 presidential election on Wednesday, many of them have cited precedent for their effort. Similar complaints lodged by Democrats in other presidential elections. And then it mentions 2000, 2004, 2016. It says the history of Democratic efforts to contest the outcomes of presidential elections is not a history worth emulating. This is the New York Times saying, look, don't emulate the Democrat tradition to contest elections. This was on January 6, 2021. Does this make any of the reporters cry or sob like a baby on TV? That time when they, they denied the results of the 2016 election. Let's just use that one as one example. Many of them to this day, Hakeem Jeffries, Nancy Pelosi, Hillary Clinton, they still, they still say that Russia interfered in 2016 and that's how, that's how Donald Trump won says, on the contrary, it only underscores that the certification of a president-elect's victory by the House and Senate is an improper forum for the airing of political grievances and an inappropriate. Here's the New York Times saying, look, look, Republicans, don't, don't do what Democrats have done historically. Just let it go. Just let it go. It says, while Congress has the power to decline to count electoral votes, it has done so only in extreme situations in the aftermath of the Civil War. So here's the New York Times acknowledging that Congress had, had the power to, at the very least, <laughs> to send it back to the states so that it could be examined, the evidence, that is, of wrongdoing, the evidence of cheating. It says here, the act also refers to the Electoral Count Act of 1887. The act also requires broad political consensus to decline to count electoral votes. It instructs that on January 6, after a presidential election, the president of the Senate, typically the vice president, presides over a session of the two chambers. If a member of Congress wishes to object to counting a state's electoral votes, a member of the House and a member of the Senate must sign a written objection. That's what they were, that's what they were preparing to do. That's what, that's what they were starting to do. Right as CNN started to say, hey, this is civil war. This is the worst, this is the worst event in American history. <laughs> what a crazy day that was. You knew, 
You knew something was rotten in Denmark. You knew it. Just watching this play out, knowing that Pelosi, Bowser, they denied Trump's request to have additional security in the form of the National Guard. They denied it. They didn't want it. Clay Higgins, he asked Christopher Wray, did you have did you have FBI agents inside the Capitol before the crowd started coming in? He couldn't answer it. He wouldn't answer it. And Higgins said, the answer's no. Of course you, if, if you're an honest actor, if you're a patriot, of course the answer's no. But no, Chris Ray can't say that because there were agents inside and outside. How many? As many as 200. 200 FBI agents? Were there 200 FBI agents in the mob that, that tried to attack the White House in the summer of love? Or in Minneapolis? Were they embedded in the Antifa mob? 200 of them? No, that's reserved for Trump supporters. And they got a trial run with the staged kidnapping of Whitmer in Michigan. And so they were ready. They were ready to incite the mob on January 6th. Four people died that day, and they were all Trump supporters. It's like Greenwald said there. They want so bad for this to be a violent insurrection. Because that's how they blot out the discussion about the election steal. That's how they, that's how they put the stamp of approval on stealing the election. You've got to make sure that the, the evidence is not examined, which is what Trump wanted to do as president. He had an obligation to do that. And then when nobody stood by him, January 20th, 2021 comes along, and he just peacefully leaves. Quite unlike the dear leader, you've got the big Washington Post article over the weekend. The dear leader is concerned. He's meeting with Biden. In December, telling him, look, I'm worried about your campaign. I'm worried that Trump might come back. The dear leader won't leave. (laughs) And Joe Biden, he gives uh, another rage of a speech on Friday saying that Donald Trump won't leave. Donald Trump's just out there campaigning to come back. Living down at Mar-a-Lago in Florida, but not the dear leader. He's just down the street from Joe Biden's office. And he's coming in saying he's, uh, he's a little bit concerned and worried that things aren't going so well for the fake president. This, this article from the New York Times back in 2021, it goes through quite a, quite a lot of detail about how Al Gore contested the election results from the 2000 uh, presidential election. It says here, in January 2005, in the wake of Mr. Bush's re-election, Democrats were more aggressive. Senator Barbara Boxer of California joined Representative Stephanie Tubbs-Jones of Ohio to lodge a formal objection to Ohio's electoral votes. The objection compelled Congress to spend two hours in debate, even though Mr. Bush won Ohio by more than 118,000 votes. <laughs> they, they, they took two hours to debate this. They they were just going to take a few hours in 2021 to debate the election. And maybe, according to Ted Cruz's testimony, send it back to the states for at least 10 days. You know, it's still before the inauguration. And and make sure that this is uh, examined like so many Americans wanted it to be. But in 2005, I mean, they took a couple of hours to, to debate the results in Ohio. Thanks to two radical Democrats. It says here in January 2017, after Donald Trump's victory, this is all from the New York Times, keep in mind. Democrats in Congress once again challenged the election outcome. Representative Jim McGovern of Massachusetts cited the confirmed and illegal activities engaged by the government of Russia. Russia, Russia, Russia. Says Miss Lee of California argued that Michigan's electoral votes should be thrown out because people are horrified by the overwhelming evidence of Russian interference in our elections. She also cited the malfunction of 87 voting machines. Voting machines? Wait a second, the machines are perfect. 
how come how come that that woman's not in jail for being an election denier for interfering in the election for insurrection why <laughs> wonder if that brought any anyone to tears in the regime media it says there there were objections against the votes in at least nine states to his credit uh, Joe Biden rejected each each objection it says in the New York Times then as now each member of Congress was within his or her rights to make an objection see the Democrats have changed their tune now you can't even make an objection if you do you're to be blotted out at best at worst you're to be in in, in prison thrown in prison if you object to what happened in 2020 well there's a uh, quite a few other uh, bits I could get to here today maybe I could carry on with our clips I told you I'd let the clips shoulder the load most of it on uh, today's show this uh, this interview Tucker Carlson he had the interview with Clay Higgins he's one of the few that's speaking the truth there in the House of Representatives he was recently on with uh, Laura Logan on her podcast. I think we played some clips from that. But here's what uh, Higgins had to say um, together with Tucker over the weekend, clip 10. There's something amiss about what happened that day, not just the response, the largest law enforcement mobilization in the history of the United States. That was obviously disproportionate because it wasn't the worst riot that year, not even close. But the day itself, there was something about January 6th that didn't feel right. And hovering over that day has remained the question, to what extent was it a setup? And we still don't really know. So that's from Tucker's monologue. And then he uh, begins his discussion with, uh, with Representative Higgins. Here's clip 11. I had reviewed compelling evidence that the that FBI had assets, human assets, dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol prior to the doors being open and the masses allowed in. Uh, so I, I knew that the FBI was deeply involved. I'd seen evidence even at that time with uh, that the FBI had embedded themselves into various groups online across the country of Americans who were essentially uh, voicing their, their concerns and airing their grievances with each other about COVID oppression. And those Americans were targeted by the FBI, though almost universally Republicans and and uh, largely Trump supporters. But the FBI worked undercover to infiltrate those conversations and become a significant part of those individual Americans' uh, communications. And when you dig into the evidence that we've we've had revealed through through some criminal cases that I've I've followed and worked with the families of J six uh, political detainees and Americans that have been persecuted for their involvement in, in the Capitol that day, and some of that evidence is shockingly reveals that the the, the FBI agents that were operating undercover within the online groups across the country were, were the first ones to plant the seeds of, of uh, suggestions of, of, a, of a more radical occupation of the capital. And here again, I mean, you, you go back and look at the, the Whitmer kidnapping plot and just how many FBI agents were involved in planning that. And that was just a tiny little group and what, there were like, what, six or eight FBI agents embedded in that group? And Higgins says there were as many as 200 there at January 6th at the protest uh, as part of the march. And even inside the Capitol, there's a riveting, there's a riveting exchange in that interview with Tucker where he says, look, it's like a, once you go inside the, the Capitol, it's like a labyrinth. And for security's sake, they don't just have, you know, Nancy Pelosi's uh, name emblazoned on the, the door of her office. I mean, you, basically, you have to go in and know where you're going to get to the Senate chamber or to get to the House chamber. 
And that's what the FBI agents were there to do, to direct them to those areas that would be perfect for the narrative. Oh, here comes Viking hat into the Senate chamber. Hey, man. It's crazy. And, and, and it still brings the regime media to tears. You saw it in the cold open. This is from the Washington Examiner. Sympathy surging for January 6th rioters. 43% agree they had a point. Sympathy surging? What a contrast. People waking up to the truth here. And then you've got the regime on TV, sobbing like little babies. It says an increasingly divided America is starting to show support for the January 6th Capitol rioters with over, with over 4 in 10 believing that they had a point or acted appropriately and forcefully disagreeing with Congress's certification of President Joe Biden's election victory. I mean, Democrats did it in 2016, 2004, and 2000. You mean Republicans can't do it? They can't contest it? It says here in the latest... Suffolk uh, USA Today poll. Sympathy for the rioters has surged for the hundreds who swarmed the Capitol the day of Congress and former Vice President Mike Pence agreed that Biden won uh, after, I guess, Vice President uh, Pence. Further on, it says here, the survey, which was completed shortly before the third anniversary of January 6th, <coughs> it says here, um, showed, showed sympathy for the rioters has increased among the voting public over the past several years. Only 48% of voters overall said they thought the rioters were criminals, a significant drop from 70% of voters who thought so in the, uh, the survey conducted just weeks after the attacks. 70% thought they were criminals. That's because of what CNN was doing. That's because they were crying on TV about the worst attack on America since the Civil War. 70% then, now it's down to 48% who believe they're criminals. Why? If, if it was so obvious, if it was, if it was worse than the Civil War, if it was worse than 9-11, you know, why, do you have to, why do you have to try to convince people of something such as that? It speaks for itself, right? In fact, it was a... At, 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 at worst, says Glenn Greenwald, it was a three-hour riot. I wouldn't even call it a riot. But we'll play along. Okay, it was a riot. Three hours? No weapons? For the rioters? And the only people that died were Trump supporters? Seriously? Like, like Tucker said, there were worst riots within that year. <laughs> worse than January 6th. But you'd never know it if you just listen to the sobbing, talking heads that make up their regime media. Listen again to Tucker with Clay Higgins. This is number 12. You have to have a guide. And, and on January 6th, the guides were FBI assets, the law enforcement assets. And they were dressed as Trump supporters. They were positioned inside the Capitol prior to the doors being opened so that the Americans that had assembled outside the Capitol, once allowed in, could be brought directly to the areas where the FBI and the DOJ and the deep state actors knew would be the most, uh, the most sort of condemning criminal action of of. Americans being a lot being inside the Capitol um, protesting without permit and things said so they knew they were setting the stage for arrest and prosecution setting the stage it was all a setup they were setting the stage for arrests and prosecutions that was important and of course the DOJ to this day just keeps bragging about it Joe Biden did in his speech of rage on Friday 1,200 people arrested. I mean, they're just, they're out there praising the work of the deep state as they continue to throw grandma in prison and, and as the American public wakes up to the fact that, well, hey, I think they had a point, those protesters. I think they're being mistreated. 
One more clip from the Tucker interview, clip 13. Real hard, objective, and conservative um, estimates would, would put the number of FBI assets in the crowd, outside, and working inside at at well over 200. 200? Yeah. Yeah. So you were in law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Before you came to Congress in the military as well. Um, that seems, that's an extraordinary number. Is it? Well, n- no. When you think about the scope of the operation, if you were going to do this, you would need, you but, would need but that But relative number. to, so like when, I don't know, Minneapolis burned down or when St. John's, the Episcopal Church across from the White House in Lafayette Square was set ablaze and all the Secret Service agents were injured. Were there 200 FBI assets in the crowd among Antifa then? Why wouldn't this representative be on every one of the Sunday shows yesterday? As it is, he goes up to Maine, sits down with Tucker in his farmhouse. I mean, Tucker's obviously popular. But it's Tucker's podcast. It's Laura Logan's podcast. That's it. That's it. The ones that are sobbing like little babies, they don't want to talk to him. They don't want to hear about 200 federal agents, FBI assets embedded in the crowd, inside the Capitol, serving as the guides, the tour guides, basically, to bring in the Trump supporters. Hey, we got to show them where Nancy Pelosi's office is. We got to take them in the direction of Mike Pence. Mike Pence over the weekend saying that, look, I've heard from the FBI over and again that uh, they, they did not infiltrate the crowd, so I believe them. That's why he dropped out of the race a while back, because Americans don't trust him. He had an opportunity to do what Democrats were quite happy to do in 2016, 2004, 2000, but he was too weak. He was too much of a coward, and he campaigned on that. And that's why he was polling at 1%. Americans are fed up. They want someone who will fight. Fight for the truth. Fight for free and fair elections. Joe Biden in his speech, you can see from that, that another day of rage coming from Joe Biden. He, he campaigned on bringing civility back to the White House, if you can believe it. And here he is. The unofficial kickoff to his 2024 campaign. And what is he campaigning on? Trump's Hitler. Trump is Hitler. Uh, and Trump supporters are neo-Nazis. So this is, what we, this is what we're campaigning on. Listen to the fake president from his Friday speech at Valley Forge, clip eight. Three years ago tomorrow, we saw with our own eyes the violent mob storm the United States Capitol. It was almost in disbelief as you first turned on the television. For the first time in our history, insurrectionists had come to stop the peaceful transfer transfer of power in America. First time, smashing windows, shattering doors, attacking the police. Outside, gallows were erected as the MAGA crowd chanted, hang Mike Pence. Inside, they hunted for Speaker Pelosi the house was chanting it says they marched through and smashed windows where's nancy over 140 police officers were injured jill and i attended the funeral of police officers who died as a result of the events of that day because donald because of donald trump's lies they died because these lies brought a mob to washington as america was attacked from within Donald Trump watched on TV in a private small dining room off my oval, oval, off the Oval Office. What? The lies. They continue with them. He's gone to the funerals of police officers who died that day. You notice they never mention the specifics. They don't mention Sicknick anymore. They just say two, three, four. I think, I think Pelosi has said as many as six police officers died. Which ones? How did they die? What about, what about the, the, well, four Trump supporters died. Okay. What about the guy they pushed off the ledge? He's, he's actually suing the Capitol Police now. Good for him. He was hanging on that ledge and, a, and an officer came by and shoved him off. 
could have killed him. And we all know about Ashley Babbitt, that's for sure. But look at how important this false, this fake, this phony narrative is to further their purposes. This is a little bit more from the, the rage speech on Friday, clip nine. One desperate act available to them, the violence of January the 6th. And since that day, more than 1,200 people have been charged for their assault on the Capitol. Nearly 900 of them have been convicted or pled guilty. Collectively to date, they have been sentenced to more than 840 years in prison. What's Trump done? Instead of calling them criminals, he's called these these insurrectionists patriots. They're patriots. And he promised to pardon them if he returns to office. Trump said that there was a lot of love on January the 6th. The rest of the nation, including law enforcement, saw a lot of hate and violence. How about that from the, the crowd there, applauding the police state tactics that Joe Obama is carrying out, going on about the 1,200 arrested, how many hundreds of years they're going to be in prison, and then people laughing and cheering, people cheering him on. This is, these are, these are the kinds of speeches that dictators give. Where, where was there ever a speech, by the way, following the summer of love? about how many people they put in prison, how many years they were going to be in prison. These same people were bailing them out. Kamala Harris bailed them out. Clip 14 from uh, Friday. Donald Trump's campaign is about him, not America, not you. Donald Trump's campaign is obsessed with the past, not the future. He's willing to sacrifice our democracy. Put himself in power. Trump's assault on democracy isn't just part of his past. It's what he's promising for the future. He's being straightforward. He's not hiding the ball. His first rally for the 2024 campaign opened with a choir of January 6th insurrectionists singing from prison on a cell phone. While images of the January 6th ride played on a big screen behind him at his rally. Can you believe that? This is like something out of a fairy tale, a bad fairy tale. Trump began his 2024 campaign by glorifying the failed violent insurrectionist insurrection at our, on our Capitol. The only thing missing there is uh, the tears, like that uh, reporter at NBC. Couldn't even, he couldn't even make it through the sentence without breaking down emotionally over this hoax this hoax i've got i've got more clips maybe we can play i don't want to play all of them i'm kind of bored with it <laughs> but here's here's one more this is the rage speech from friday at valley forge clip 15 an attempt to overturn a free and fair election by force and violence a record 81 million people voted for my candidacy and to end his presidency trump lost the popular vote by 7 million Trump's claims about the 2020 election never could stand up in court. Trump lost 60 court cases, 60. Trump lost the Republican-controlled states. Trump lost before a Trump-appointed judge and then judges. And Trump lost before the United States Supreme Court. All of it, he lost. Trump lost recount after recount after recount and state after state. But in desperation and weakness, Trump and his MAGA followers went after election officials who, in, who ensured your power as a citizen would be heard. Let's be clear about the 2020 election. Trump exhausted every legal avenue available to him to overturn the election. Every one. But the legal path just took Trump back to the truth that I'd won the election and he was a loser. 
he made some of those same points, by the way, last year on the January 6th anniversary. Here we are three years on. He sounds a little bit, a little bit sensitive, doesn't he? I got 81 million votes. Trump lost. He lost in court. He's a loser. <laughs> three years on, they know. They know they stole it. They, they know how precious the January 6th narrative is to cover up, to cover up any discussion or investigation into the election steal. It all goes back to the fraudulent election of November of 2020, doesn't it? So obvious now. It wasn't, it wasn't as clear right after January 6th, even though we were looking at it, and we should probably go back and play some of our own clips from January 7, 2021, because we were on to it from the beginning. But there, I mean, you still didn't know the details. You still didn't know what was behind it all. Now, I mean, it's come out. And so they've got to they've double down on stupid. They've got to double down and say, look, we won this fair and square. It was 81 million votes, uh, the, the biggest in history. Uh, he lost in court. He's a loser. Got it. One more from, uh, from Friday. This is clip 16. Trump's mob wasn't a peaceful protest. It was a violent assault. They were insurrectionists, not patriots. They weren't there to uphold the Constitution. They were there to destroy the Constitution. Trump won't do what an American president must do. He refuses to denounce political violence. So hear me clearly. I'll say what Donald Trump won't. Political violence is never, ever acceptable in the United States political system. Never, never, never. It has no place in a democracy, none. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. And yet Trump and his MAGA supporters not only embrace political violence, but they laugh about it. Isn't that especially rich, given all the political violence from the summer of love? Just a couple months before the presidential election, by the way, and the same rioters that were staged and ready should Trump, should Trump somehow pull off the, the re-election, they were ready. Time Magazine wrote about it. But here's your fake president saying political violence never is never, never acceptable. And that if you're, if you're, uh, what did he say? The United States political, never, never. It has no place in democracy. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-American. Well, maybe you ought to, maybe you ought to look a little, little further back in America's history. You can't be pro-insurrectionist and pro-America. Well, we don't need to get into the weeds on arguing this, but as I say, how especially rich is this coming from these people who've caused so much harm to this nation and they're campaigning on the bad orange man. That's pretty much it. This, this one, I think Sam wanted to play this one. Let's just play one more, clip 17. In fact, in the rotunda of the Capitol, there's a giant painting of General George Washington, not President Washington. And he is resigning his commission as commander in chief of the Continental Army. A European king at the, at the time said after he won the revolution, now's the time for him to declare his kingship. But instead, the mob that attacked the Capitol, waving Trump flags and Confederate flags, Stormed right past that portrait. The image of George Washington gave him no pause, but it should have. <laughs> and Washington walked away, unlike Trump, who walked away, by the way. It's the dear leader. It's the dear leader who won't go away. He's been there running the show, four years in the shadow government, but running the show, running the deep state for 15 plus years. This is what their campaign is. January 6th, insurrection, election deniers. They're, and notice they're all, going back to the previous clip, they're all insurrectionists. Everyone that was there, not just the 1,200 they've thrown behind bars, but everybody, everybody that, that partook of that protest, that was part of that protest, they're all insurrectionists. Listen to this roundtable discussion about Biden going 
full Hitler on Donald Trump. This is clip seven. The Biden campaign hoping the speeches and new ads draw a starker contrast with Trump. Aides telling CNN Biden may go full Hitler, directly comparing Trump's rhetoric to the Nazi leader. They're poisoning the blood of our country. That's what they've done. Lulu, is, is Biden smart to go this hard at Trump to go, quote, full Hitler in the first week in January? I mean, I, I, I certainly expected it in the fall. I certainly expected it October, whatever. But it's really early to be doing this. Some would argue it's a little late. <laughs> this is great. This is great. It seems like, uh, yeah, in the fall, it would be perfect to go full Hitler. But does it seem a little early to pull Hitler out of the bag? Does it seem a little early to campaign on Trump as Hitler? This is this is what passes for respectable respectable discussion on CNN. <laughs> We've got a Chris Wallace appearance on today's show. He's, he's basically re- they resurrected him from the grave, I guess. As far as his commentary goes, is it a little early to go with Trump as Hitler? This is uh, this is what they're falling back on. Coming back to this uh, this Washington Post piece, the one that's uh, showing Obama. Obama's not happy. Obama's a little concerned. He's concerned about Donald Trump reversing any or all part of this fundamental transformation. So, and he's been I mean, he's been on the receiving end of some pretty significant setbacks. He couldn't save Claudine Gay at Harvard. He was lobbying for her to stay on, even though she's a liar, even though she's a plagiarist, even though she hates Jews like Obama does. She couldn't survive. And now here he, he's making an appearance. He's making an appearance to tell, to tell Joe Biden, you know, you, got, you guys better step it up. This is from the, the Washington Post a few days ago. It says, former President Barack Obama has raised questions about the structure of President Biden's re-election campaign. Discussing the matter directly with Biden and telling the president's aides and allies, the campaign needs to be empowered to make decisions without clearing them with the White House, according to three people familiar with uh, the conversations. Look, we, the campaign, we need to make the decisions. Forget about what Biden wants or doesn't want. We've got to get this moving. Listen to this montage that we have of people commenting over the weekend about this Washington Post uh, story. This is clip one. How worried are you about black voters showing up for President Biden in November? Well, I'm not worried. I'm very concerned. And I have sat down with President Biden. I don't know. I saw those reports. I've also seen at least one report indicating that I have sat down uh, with President Biden. And I did. Uh, with him, uh, and I've uh, told him what my concerns are. I have no problem with the Biden administration and what it has done. My problem is that we have not been able to break through uh, that MAGA wall in order to get to people exactly what this president has done. As President Biden ramps up his general election campaign, there are new warning signs. The Washington Post reporting former President Obama has raised questions about the structure of President Biden's re-election campaign. Two sources confirmed to NBC News that Obama and Biden met over lunch in December and discussed the campaign, with Obama expressing deep concern about Mr. Trump's political strength. Underscoring the urgency, one source telling me this is an all-hands-on-deck moment. President Biden needs to listen. He needs to ramp up the attacks. He did yesterday. He needs to stop running ads that say, I did a great job, and start running ads saying this guy is a threat. Democracy, to your abortion rights, to your Social Security, everything has to be Trump. Everything. I have a seven-step plan for Biden's re-election. And I, I, you can memorize them because I did them in alphabetical order. Attack, 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 attack. Hitler, 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 Hitler. The Washington Post says there, Obama grew animated in discussing the 2024 election and former President Donald Trump's potential return to power. One of the people said and has suggested to Biden's advisors that the campaign needs more top level decision making decision makers at its headquarters in Wilmington, Delaware, or it must empower the people already in place. This is the dear leader won't go away. He's right down the street. 
He's telling uh, Biden's people, look, you got to do this, this, and this. He's heading up the Democrat Party. He's heading up the White House. And he's worried, isn't he? Oh, yes. Yes, the dear leader is concerned. Obama has not recommended specific individuals, but he, he has mentioned David Plouffe. He's the one that said uh, Trump must be destroyed. It's not enough to beat him at the ballot box. You've got to destroy him. So there you've got Begala in that uh, montage we just played saying, yeah, attack, 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 attack. It says here, Obama's conversation with Biden on the subject took place during a private lunch at the White House in recent months. One of the people said a meeting that has uh, not been previously reported. The, the, de the dear media we could say. <laughs> the, the, the regime media, they're, you know, they're careful to kind of cover the tracks. You know, Obama, like I said on the program last week, he doesn't want to leave a paper trail. That's why he stayed in D.C. He's, he had, he's heading up the deep state. This is over at the Hill. It says the Biden campaign defended its strategy in response to new reporting on criticism from former President Obama on the structure of the Biden campaign. It says here, Quentin Folks, principal deputy campaign manager for President Biden's re-election bid on Sunday, defended the campaign's approach and stressed that Obama and Biden are aligned in their position that Trump needs to be defeated. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the Hill, that's a liberal outlet. They're com commenting on this uh, contention between the Obama and Biden people. Hey, we're all together on uh, going after Trump. They're in agreement on that. Attack, 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 attack. Trump is Hitler. Is it too early? No, no, no. Some would argue it might be too late. <laughs> We've got to get into Trump is Hitler right away. Listen to Donald Trump. This is from one of his campaign stops in uh, Iowa over the weekend. Clip 19. We're shooting for November because we got to send a message. We got to send a message. We can't be beaten. Because if we are beaten, we're not going to have a country left anymore. They're destroying this country. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. Grossly incompetent and also totally corrupt. And what they're doing with elections, with the interference, is incredible. It's warfare. And it really is. They call it lawfare. I call it warfare. I think it really is warfare. It really is warfare. Brings to mind this, uh, this issue of the Trumpet Magazine. Hard to believe it's a, a year old now. This is from January 2023. Ready for war. If you haven't subscribed to the Trumpet Magazine, you should know that uh, there is no subscription cost. There's no price. All we ask is that you call our operators today and, uh, and give us your address and we'll send you out a year's subscription to the Trumpet Magazine. The 800 number, one 9303024 and speaking of warfare this book of course America under attack it's a must read in uh, in today's in today's atmosphere for uh, the United States or for the world in fact America is under attack that book's been in, in publication for 10 years 10 years talk about tomorrow's news today that's our tagline for the trumpet magazine the same would apply to the book, America Under Attack. If you'd like to email the show with some feedback, you can reach us at tdatthetrumpet.com. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.